Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics and Culture Podcast. Every day I pick a comic and then I provide some analysis, discussion, and critical engagement. I'm Tu Ply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I. My perspective is as a cultural critic, academic, and a teacher and preacher. So I try to be analytical since sometimes I get philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. Well, since I do analysis of a comic's work each day for about 20 minutes, I do get into the details. So I always suggest that you read the work first, whether you buy it from your local retailer or digitally. Yes, that's a lightweight spoiler warning. All right, let's dig deep. Today's Tuesday, July 12th, 2016. Our book today, uh, during our Tuesday Trade paperback, is Monstrous from Image Comics, written by Marjorie Liu, art by Sana Takeda. And um, this is the first volume of Monstrous, uh, a six-issue collection in a trade, Um, a book which I've followed in individual issues and um, is now put together in um, the first trade paperback, volume one, entitled Awakening. Um, this book is, um, lettered and designed by Russ Wooten and, um, is long. It's something in the range of 200 odd pages, uh, which for an, uh, you know, first trade is pretty substantial. Um, and much of that because the very first issue of this comic was huge. It was like 60, 70 pages or something like that. Um, I think Marjorie Liu said in an interview that, uh, this was just because there was so much story that uh, she wanted to tell and um, uh, so she and, and Sana Takeda really sort of threw themselves into this first issue and um, it really is a piece of work it's quite um, you know quite significant um, I, I'm i excited to talk about Monstrous because I've been reading it and as I've been reading it I've been um, a little bit uh, well I think my f- my my overall feeling of it is that I'm you know, tremendously enamored of this book, um, to the point that I would rally people to support it and to keep it going, um, by, you know, obviously lending their dollars, but also their, um, their vocal support to rallying a fan base around it. Um, so I, you know, get that out of the way as far as my feelings about it. I realized that thus far on the Paul list, I haven't, um, talked meant much about many books that i i wouldn't recommend it's not that i don't read comics that i don't you know like uh or not that i don't have a critical thing to say about any comics it's just simply that um i think there's something more interesting and more compelling for my project in examining what it is about comics that i that um do uh fascinate people and fascinate me um rather than the stuff that, you know, sort of I grow tired of. Uh, having said that, I think I uh, have probably insulted or, um, uh, well, I, I think I've tried to be honest about things that I'm not, that are not um, just either not my preference, not my cup of tea, or just, um, for me, didn't work, don't work in comics. And I will, you know, I think I try to be open about those things. Um, before we kind of launch into Monstrous, though, I think the thing that I want to say is that there is um, uh, another reason that I haven't talked about that I've called this project the Paul List. Um, I've determined that I'm going to make this a season of the Paul List, 
meaning that I'm going to keep doing this every day as best I can. I may miss a day here or there um, throughout the summer season and see if there it picks up some, some traction, some steam, if I get some listeners. Um, those of you who are listening out there, thank you. Um, I see you. SoundCloud uh, gives me some stats. And I know that I'm now on iTunes and Twitcher. Uh, Twitcher. Wow. <laughs> uh, iTunes and Stitcher. Um, and so this project is a project of continuing to uh, sort of analyze comics as an empirical analysis of questions that I want to pursue about um, the field in this moment, media, literacy, and so on. Um, I talk about that in that What is the Paulist episode, if you want to check that out. Um, but there's a sense of the meaning of the words, the Paul list, that I didn't talk about, I realize I neglected to talk about, which is that when I think of a list, um, two sharp images come to mind. One is um, a film, uh, Schindler's List. Sorry, <laughs> that's so funny. I just said that as if it were like, you know, some uh, little known <laughs> you know, uh, indie film from France. No. <laughs> so, um, Schindler's List, <laughs> um, besides being, you know, sort of the Holocaust movie of my generation, it, uh, it was a very powerful movie for me as a, as a young man. And I watched it as a teenager several times. I'm probably the only weirdo teenager who, um, bought the film and, uh, rewatched it over and over again. Um, it, uh, there was an idea in it that was, uh, super compelling to me it was the list um at one point in the um in the film uh uh stern who is uh you know sort of the the right hand of um of schindler uh is sitting at a typewriter and the two of them are you know um drinking and smoking and trying to remember the names of every single person that schindler is buying back from the nazis um and that's his list and at the end of it uh stern pulls the list off the typewriter and says the list is life um and you know it becomes sort of the tagline that's on the movie posters and stuff um there's something in creating a list uh you know anybody who who does the fun thing of like hey let's sit around and you know rate the top five favorite books of all time or you know what are my 10 best movies or whatever knows that there's a kind of emotional investment in creating the list. Um, on the mar our margins lie the borders, Stern says. You know, here is where we count what is in. And sometimes that is simultaneously an exclusionary act. And um, other times it is, uh, at the same time, it is a, is, it is a preservational act. Um, you know, you, you make a list because you want to keep track. And the idea of keeping track can be um, a kind of um, power move that is exclusive, and at the same time, it can be a um, a kind of um, salvation, a kind of uh, remembering, a kind of cherishing, a kind of protecting. Um, and in the case of Schindler's List, of course, you know, the the idea of a list is that anybody that they leave off, um, they you know have to condemn to the camps. Um, but on the other hand, everybody that they're putting on there is a precious life. And, um, and that's a moving thing to me about uh, the film. That's one meaning of list. Now, of course, I talk about the pull list being, I'm sorry, the pull list being named after the idea of a pull list. You know, sitting there in a comic shop and deciding, okay, I'm going to ask you to 
keep this book for me and I'd like to read this book and oh, what the heck I'm a, I'm a Spider-Man guy so you know give me these three Spider-Man books um, that's really not anywhere near as important as significant as say Schindler's list um, but I think that brings me to the other meaning of list which is um, archaic um, it's the meaning of list that uh, Shakespeare uses uh, as a root of the word listen. Um, there's something about being told, you know, in a Shakespeare play, you hear somebody to, uh, you hear somebody asking list. And what they mean is uh, pay attention. And I think what I'm trying to do with the Paul list is I'm trying to pay attention. I'm trying to list. I'm trying to um, take in some things that I would not hear otherwise and I value I cherish the voices of the creators the cartoonists the um, artists who um, expend such effort in order for us to be able to listen or to see uh, to observe to um, to open our our eyes our consciousness ourselves uh, the reason I bring that up today is because our book is monstrous, and as I said at the beginning, this is a book that I recommend. This is a book that I followed. The reason that I followed it is because Marjorie Liu, as a writer, is very compelling to me, and the um, the work that uh, she's done in the past uh, is super interesting to me. Um, and then. Um, she introduces me through this book to Sana Takeda, whose art is also hyper impressive. But, <laughs> and here's the big but with the point that I'm going to repeat um, for the remaining 10 minutes that I have here, now that I've squandered the first 10 minutes. Um, but, this is not my kind of book. I'll say it openly now. In fact, there are so many elements that are so crucial to this book being so great that are, quote-unquote, not my thing, right? Um, for, for those who don't know, and I gave that spoiler warning in the, at the top, so I'm going to assume there's some familiarity and willingness to get into the details, although I won't give too much away if you haven't read the book. Um, but um, Monstrous is basically about uh, a protagonist named Micah Halfwolf, uh, a character named Micah Halfwolf is not usually my thing. Uh, she is, um, in the opening scene, being sold into slavery. Um, she is. She apparently belongs to a race called the Arcanics, and she is being sold by humans. And, you know, we hear from those who are uh, handling her that she is, you know, less than human or some sort of half-breed. And we come to find that there are these um, various breeds in this world. It's a f fantasy um, sort of um, uh, steampunk magic, um, you know, creatures, monsters, gods, ancients, cats kind of world. And <laughs> so in this world, you know, uh, uh, Arcanics are these half-breeds of humans and, um, and the ancients, which I think are sort of animal beast creatures. Uh, they're in the city of Zamora, which is this big city sort of right on the border between the Arcanics land um, and the um, 
the the sort of human uh, federation, the federation of man, I think it's called, and it's all in the wake of some uh, of war between these two uh, tribes or races or whatever. Um, the size of the world building in this book is substantial, and it's very immersive. You're immediately thrown in, and it's quite disorienting. I think it uh, it's not unlike my experience of watching the first season of Game of Thrones. I think for the first, I don't know, seven episodes, I have no idea what the heck was going on. I couldn't remember who the characters were. I didn't know you know what exactly the conflict was that I was watching for. Um, but uh, I'm not as devoted a follower of game of thrones as others i actually a couple seasons behind um but i totally get it you know over time the creators have enough the producers that show the writers have enough trust in the audience that um they'll lay down in a sort of very deliberate fashion the pieces of this world and the pieces of the conflict and the pieces of the you know what the reveals of who the characters are um, in a manner that, you know, since, you know, Sopranos and The Wire, you know, smart TV has learned to do and smart TV watchers have learned to be able to follow. And I think if you are a follower of Marjorie Liu, then I think this is the kind of book that smart fantasy readers um, are also, you know, love. It's the immersiveness of the world, the um, intensity of the designs. Um, Sana Takeda mixes um, a very clear manga style with a sort of um, steampunk and art deco um, design it's gorgeous to see it's also once again and i'll say this repeatedly not usually my thing um, none of those aspects are usually my thing and yet um, despite the disorientation and it really honestly it took me a while to get through the first issue i got it i had read about it i um, anticipated it i was excited about it and i started reading it and i realized right away that this is not my thing. Um, but it was exactly when that feeling came to me that I started to recognize, and this has been a practice for me in comics, that it, the fact that my prejudices are, um, are sort of um, aroused by this book really may, you know, pushed me to listen because there's something going on here that I know that I'm uncomfortable, I'm unfamiliar with, and that's exactly why I should stick around. Um, and then as I read more things that I are not my thing, um, you know, one of the things that becomes apparent, even though there are male characters in the book, um, it's, it's very quickly clear that, you know, we're talking, you know, almost, uh, entirely, at least predominantly about female protagonists and antagonists in this world. And, um, it has a powerful effect of really removing <coughs> the sense of the male gaze that is almost always present in um, every other comic um, the male gaze in the sense that every female is seen in reference and in relationship to male characters um, that it becomes almost inconsequential in this book and um, and I love that I love that you know we're past the Bechdel test I mean not past, we're not past it but we don't need to be at the Bechdel test of whether or not these characters you know exist beyond uh, the relation, their relationship to to male figures, you know, we have instead um, all manner of female relationships and um, queer relationships, and um, you know, sort of, um, I think a, a a vast scope of gender identities, 
at play and really um, move us uh, swiftly beyond the um, you know the binaries. And I think that that's um, again something that I'm not used to, and I recognized that as I read it, and then I realized I love it. I love that I'm here. Um, the 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 sort of core idea of the book is that um, our main protagonist, Micah Halfwolf, has uh, actually, uh, you know, is being sold as a slave, but is actually infiltrated intentionally. And this is all in the, within the first issue, so I'll, I'll spoil that much. Um, has infiltrated because she has sort of a purpose. She's looking for something. There's something incomplete from her past, um, all related to this war and to her mother and to some kind of magical... Um, entity inside of her and we come to basically to find out and this is right there in the title that um micah who is um you know has one arm who is it's sort of the opening page extremely vulnerable um but also resilient and strong um steel-eyed in the face of essentially being sold um, and her body being examined she has a tattoo of an eye on her chest that um sort of speaks to what what is what we're to find out which is that she has a monster or as they call it a monstrum or a monstrous monstrous i don't know she <laughs> there's a monster living inside her um and i think that there's um right off the bat a commentary about what occurs when we are um left with the results of war um imperialism uh oppression there's a creature inside her who is both great great and grave danger and also this sort of insatiable power um and um there's a uh, you know it's it's she's she's battling with it 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 both um defends her and consumes her and um you know what what that monster is an allegory for if if their intention is to be allegorical i'm not entirely sure but the monster's appearance in this situation where you know a a character belonging to a race is being sold into slavery in fact has broken into a very oh and i should say you know the the human city in zamora and the society and where she's infiltrated is you know all all sorts of sort of draconian um uh, you know, sort of uh, police, military authority, as well as this religious order, as well as an economic elite. And so there's all these layers on there, basically power and domination. And um, that, you know, uh, that Micah has this monster inside of her who um, fuels her with power, gives her the ability to sort of in you know massively violent ways vanquish and consume and devour enemies yet um is out of her control uh you know i'll sort of leave it there as far as the the allegory but i think it's um quite pointed um the monster appears as a tentacle with eyes not my thing um <laughs> very early children die not my thing there's a lot of, in fact, brutal kind of, you know, beheading kind of st style of killing and magical, mystical kind of drained of your life force kind of death. 
uh, again, not my thing. Um, there's sort of these animal, half animal, half human creatures that are um, actually, you know, we're not talking about sort of cute anthropomorphic. We're talking about realistic looking animal creatures. And that's uh, not my thing. <laughs> um, uh, eventually, Micah, half wolf, um, sort of hits the road as all of these stories must end up doing at some point. Um, and she's she's sort of accompanied by a little little fox character, this chibi, you know, really kind of manga cute little fox human, you know, mix named Kippa, who's really cute and very likable. And then they there's all kinds of swearing in front of her. <laughs> she's like, she's so funny. She's looking, she's facing death. She's uh, terrified of. Um, of Micah, who has a monster inside of her, she's uh, witnessing horrible things. And what I'm bothered by is that they use the S word in front of her. Um, but you know, again, not necessarily my thing. Uh, the other part of the this this little company here is a two-tailed cat named Master Ren. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are cat people. I'm not a cat person. <laughs> um, you know, there's a Mother Superior character who's sort of um, pseudo-religious, uh, you know, uh, band of uh, assassins, hunters, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> just a lot of stuff that's just not my thing. Um, the world building, as I said before, is, is vast and immersive. And um, the idea, I think, let's, let's see. I, I mean, I think a lot of these kinds of stories know that you want to show enough of the world. In fact, there's a page at the end of each issue after the first issue where it's uh, Professor Tam Tam, a cat, uh, the, the former first record keep of the Ishami Temple, whatever that is, has basically a page of lecture <laughs> describing the history in the background of this world. You know, you got your maps and you got your different creatures and you got your history and you got your great, you know, war and your, you know, battle of Constantine and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I can't follow those details. I'm not interested <laughs> in those details. I'm the kind of person who, you know, the Lord of the Rings, I could get through it because of the character relationships. And early on in this series, uh, I think intentionally, there's um, Lou and Takeda frustrate that desire you have for a very clean character relationship. In fact, I think uh, repeatedly relationships that you want to um, assume or, or buy into are, um, are sort of flouted um, in some way or another. Uh, you know, the the little little kid who's following along who you want so much for the protagonist to be protective and kind toward um, that doesn't come right off the bat and uh, and so you, you you don't know how much you like this person that you're supposed to follow and all of that I think is is again Lou and Takeda giving credit to their audience to stick with it to not um, buy into a s overly simple narrative um, that everything kind of satisfies you that quickly. And I think that level of patience is um, has, you know, two things about it. One, uh, I think that's something earned from people who've, um, who've done storytelling that is, you know, within genre, but really trying to um, play with genre to challenge some of the conventions that are just too easy. 
about the genre um and i think again like you know long form tv and um you know different works of genre fiction uh have uh, in a very enlightened way uh practiced this um holding back of those elements that you in a in a tropey kind of way think that you need to have to satisfy a readership um but i think the other thing that the other effect of this is that for a long time you you know so, so what i think what happens sometimes is that stories do world building just enough for you to grasp where you're going and then the character relationships and the character storylines take over and what when you don't do that when you continually are introducing different elements of the world and the you know different characters and stakeholders and stuff like that what you tend to do is you tend to make this make it more of a panoramic picture than uh, a single profile focus and um uh again i'll come to movies like the wire and i mean sorry tv shows like the wire and tv shows like game of thrones um shows that uh, trusted their audience enough uh to yes you had some you had many compelling core characters you have to have that but it it was almost a kind of um, storytelling that was saying the world is actually not just the backdrop for these protagonists. The world is what matters. You know, it's it's um, almost a sociological kind of um, storytelling. We're not only concerned with some individual actor and their agency and heroism. We're actually concerned with the interplay, the complex interplay of these various. Uh, strata or these various um, uh, you know groups in 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 conflict um, in other words it doesn't make the background just backdrop um, the background or the context or the um, larger society or the larger ecology continually um, is being unveiled and that unveiling is the story um, you know, in this story, I think in this volume, uh, uh, you know, our hero or the one we're following, I don't know, you know, th there's, amb there's ambivalence there too, because you're rooting for Micah because you're following Micah, but Micah's got a monster and you don't know how you feel about this tentacled monster. Uh, so, you know, or really about Micah even <laughs> and her intentions and, and her decisions, but you're following Micah, you care about this little band of travelers but in fact there's a whole lot about the world that you're continually being trained to look up and pay attention to you know where is their um, power being exercised where you know what are the resources that um, different groups are turning to to um, try to uh, you know hold on to the their um, you know, what's precious to them you know are they what are they fighting over and why does it matter i think that kind of um fiction is interesting in how and thinking about how it trains you to look at um real life to look at um the world if you are always looking at the individual hero it becomes harder to consider things like um, systems of um, opportunity or systems of oppression becomes harder to look at phenomena like um, multiple layers of corruption when it's easy to pin things on a single villain um, you know it's just um, 
I like these stories that press us to um, to think analytically about the whole and the relationship of the whole to the individuals rather than a, a one direction of, you know, here are the key individuals I'm looking at and let's see how they change the world. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, always an interesting story, but um, far more interesting to me when we learn through this kind of storytelling to expand the scope of our vision. All right. Uh, what else did I say? I want to say about Monster. Uh, I I don't think I gave the um, art its due, um, and I think that um, Takeda. So I think something that's really easy to say about Takeda's art is that it's a hybrid. It's a it's a mix of Eastern and Western. Um, comics and animation influences and that's pretty apparent as you flip through the pages um the uh there are there's you know and it, it, it's obvious in the character designs they look a lot like you know your attack on titan or you know countless other manga and yet the sort of steampunk backdrop and um as i said the art deco sort of uh architecture and design of the city and and, uh, and a lot of the storytelling elements are very Western. But I think it's actually beyond that to the point of many of the um, storytelling. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a sort of, um, Scott McCloud talks about this in Understanding Comics, but there's a sort of way that, um, that Japanese and, and Asian comics sequence and uh, handle time. And um, it's, it's a kind of disorientation that non manga readers when they first encounter manga and the suddenness of the way that things sometimes can happen and then the way that things slow down to a very extreme to a very extreme degree in um, action scenes for instance or in in a particular um, life moment um, it's a little jarring for non manga readers and I think um, Lou and Takeda make use of that to a large degree here but there's also a whole lot of like you know like I said Game of Thrones Lord of the Rings style um uh you know um storytelling tropes <laughs> fantasy storytelling tropes and so that's apparent in the art as well um art in the sequential storytelling um i think uh that though it's a little bit lazy to say we're talking about a hybrid there's a whole lot of stuff about hybridity in this book but i sometimes hybrid is to me under articulated you say oh, okay it comes from here and it comes from there and they mix it cool you know that's true but there's something in the mixture that is particular and um you know even contrasting the way that this story um this artwork hybridizes east and western um imaginative storytelling contrasting that to say um avatar and uh and cora and the way that a similar um sort of hybridization was done with very different elements and um i think that's interesting and that's uh not something i have time for <laughs> i had a few notes about it but but i'm looking up at the clock and realizing wow i better uh, i better cut it here but uh, maybe you have some thoughts on that uh, maybe you want to tell me uh where i'm crazy maybe you um uh, maybe you've actually listened to this whole half hour of, of meanderings. Um, if you do, I, I gotta be honest, I have yet to get, uh, any feedback from somebody that I didn't already know. 
letting me know that they've listened. Um, I don't know if all the other listeners are just um, some kind of uh, internet bots that are trying to get me to follow them on SoundCloud, or if there are genuine real-life ears on the other end of this um, besides my own. So I'm at Tuply on Twitter. Um, I'm also at, uh, you can email me at Tuply, T-W-O-P-L-A-I, at gmail.com. Um, like, like I said, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, um, on SoundCloud. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, tomorrow is the Wednesday Wide World of Comics, and I'll talk a little bit about my poll list and new comic day, uh, new comic book day picks, um, as well as you know a, a selection that's outside of that realm of comics. But uh, thank you for joining. Um, recommend Monstrous by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda from Image, and uh, keep reading. All right.